What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. I'm your host, Will Ferrero. On today's episode, we have Jeff Belomo of Belomo & Associates. Jeff is a elder law and estate planning attorney, and his model is based on giving away free information in things like seminars. Uh, we talk about his new podcast, how he's cultivated a positive workplace for his employees, and his upcoming book. Enjoy. How's it going, Jeff? Nice to uh, nice to see you, and thanks, uh, thanks for you know taking the time to chat this afternoon. I'm I'm looking forward to learning all about you and your practice. Hundred percent, man. I'm excited too. This is going to be a good time. Yeah. So just just to get started, can you tell me uh, a little bit about yourself? You know, we're we're in New York, but I know you're in New York, Pennsylvania, where where I went to college. Yeah. So I'm Jeff Belomo with uh, Belomo and Associates. We are an estate planning and outer law law firm. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. Out of York, Pennsylvania, we do have an office in Lancaster as well. And you know, um, even before uh, the pandemic and COVID, we were uh, pretty virtual. But now we've become a lot more virtual, obviously, just because people are more open to it and more accustomed to it. So we are able to service uh, pretty much all of Pennsylvania. So when you say virtual, do you mean that you're taking on clients virtually, or your employees are working from home, or or both? Yes, to both, actually. I, I meant it in the context of uh, clients, but uh, we do have uh, 13 remote uh, team members all over oh, the wow. country. So, yeah, so actually that as well. But um, we do help uh, anyone over the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, I am only licensed in the state of Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously that's my geographic area. But uh, yeah, we do have uh, team members and we've just found that uh, Clients in, in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and Erie and all over the state are really more inclined now to be okay with uh, doing a meeting or two on Zoom if they need mm -hmm. to come or we need to meet in person, we can arrange that. But um, it's working really well. Um, and, and it was something we did a little bit before, but uh, the resistance was more about, well, I don't want to be on Zoom or I don't want right, to be on. Right. Now, I don't, I don't find that as much, at least uh, around here anyway. Yeah, I guess people are accustomed to it now. They're doing it for work. So they're exactly. like, you know, why not do it for, you know, my my personal issues that I have going on as well? 100% agreed. And and I've, I've been finding that I've been offering to people, I say, you know, I could come meet you. You could come, you know, to the office and we could meet there. Or, you know, we could just do a Zoom thing. And and most of the time people are like, dude, let's just do the Zoom. Let's just do it. I agree, you know, man. 100%. Get, get the ball rolling on Zoom. It's, it's uh you know, it's quicker to get started that way. People don't have to take an afternoon off of work or something like that. 100%. They don't have to find parking. That Well, they don't have to find parking at our office either, but mm -hmm. that's always the fear, right? Like right. I got to drive there. I got to find parking. I got to, nah, sometimes that's just easier to, to do it uh, uh, on on Zoom mm -hmm. or on a, on a social media platform. And your, your firm focuses specifically on, it's elder law and estate planning, right? Yes, that's all we do is uh, state planning and elder law. And, you know, I always get the question, you know, why, why, why is that your niche? I mean, mm -hmm. most, most elder law attorneys are usually elderly because they did estate planning for years. And um, I think the common misconception is elder law means elderly people. And mm -hmm. the truth is it actually doesn't. Um, it's really another word for asset protection mm. and government benefits planning, but um, people just assume well, it means elderly. No. And well, my family had the unfortunate circumstance of my mother being ill. Mm -hmm. We didn't know the answers to 
will dad lose the house? How are we going to provide for her? How are we going to get her the care she needs? How, you know, should we have done planning sooner? Are there ways to protect assets? What, what's hospice? I mean, what's Medicare? What's Medicaid? How do they play? How we couldn't find the answers. And I went to two law firms and paid $300 consult fees. And um, at the end of the consult, it was kind of one of those, you know, well, if you hire me today, I'll roll it over in the planning fee and the, and mm-hmm. the solution you need is, you know, 15,000. Well, what is the solution? Like, what are we doing? Like, what, what is it? What am I paying for? Oh, I can't tell you that. Well, I'm not going to pay you for something. I don't know what it is. And, you know, when you, I, I was lucky, you know, I, I got a lot of my education out uh, at a, a younger age. I got my JD and then I went right on and pretty much got my master's in taxation. I got a certificate mm-hmm. in estate planning. I became a certified elder law attorney. And my joke is, you know, I had all those crazy initials after my name, but the only <laughs> ones that I really need were a J-O-B. I needed a job because <laughs> I was broke. And uh, I did. And, and you, you know, you know, I mean, when you get a job in a big law firm or, or any law firm for that matter, let's not say big, small, whatever, your job is to make money for the partners. Your job right. is to bill. Your job is to follow their process. Your job is to be seen and not heard. And mm-hmm. Um, it took a few years, but uh, 2008, I was leaving a meeting and literally, right, you know, put my hand out to shake the lady's hand and was like, well, ma'am, that'll be $300. If you hire me today, I'll roll it over into the planning fee. And I went, oh my gosh, mm. I became one of them. Like, I, yeah. and I started crying. I mean, to this day, oh. that client just, she laughs about it. And she's like, mm. I thought you were nuts. She's like, you were sobbing in my arms, you know, this, this grown man is sobbing in a client's arms and I had no idea what was wrong and it didn't matter. I was, you know, I was there for you. I was telling you everything would be okay. And I went out in the car and I called my mom and I was like, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to go be a social worker, a teacher, like I should have done. And she was like, for the first time in your life, I'm disappointed in you. Mm. This is not the Jeff I raised. The Jeff I raised wouldn't be running from a profession. He would be changing the industry he would be making a difference he would be not letting that happen and i remember saying something to the effect of mom I'm, you know I'm, I'm broke i'm living off of my wife's salary i'm, I'm risking you know i have no money like what what, what am i going to do it's like, you're going to quit your job and you're going to go open up a law firm and you're going to change the industry and um i was very fortunate to find a national uh company that trained in estate planning and elder law and we call it you know elder law in a bag is kind of the phrase that we use and a couple of years later, I became one of their main trainers and I traveled the country teaching lawyers and training for their program and, um, you know, helped me a lot understand. But the biggest thing is that they do everything through education. Everything is, right. you know, you give education and then, um, you know, you you figure out, you know, does it make sense? What are the costs? What is it going to cost? You know, you know all that up front. So there's none of this. I have $300 of your money and I'm hiding the ball. Right. It's let me pull the curtain. Let me teach you everything. And my philosophy is more of a business philosophy, which is life is about relationships. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if they don't want to hire me after getting four and a half hours of free education, I'm good with that because they weren't going to hire me anyway. So I have no issue. I, my joke always is, and I just finished one. I was, I was, you know, running a few minutes behind here, but my joke is, you know, either fist pump me on the way out the door or, you decide to move forward and schedule the next meeting. Either way, I'm cool. Like mm-hmm. I don't have any qualms about somebody walking out after getting, you know, a couple hours of free education um, because I want them to hire me because they like me, they trust me, they want to work with me. 
not because I have $300 of their money. Right. Right. And tell tell me some more about that. The, the, you know, you have this free education, free information model Mm -hmm. where you're providing a lot to prospective clients. So what, what exactly is it that you're doing? Two hour workshops essentially and doing uh, estate planning and elder law through stories. So Mm -hmm. um, real stories, you know, real life cases, real life clients, and basically entertaining. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you and I know that um, people are going to work with you because they trust you and they like you. Right. And not how smart you are. I mean, nobody cares how smart you are. Nobody cares where you went to law school. Nobody cares, you know, how you did on the bar exam. You know, did Mm -hmm. you pass, right? So I just love entertaining. I love educating. And so we just, we literally do break down the area by stories, real life stories. And then- Oh, interesting. Basically teach people like what's happened through cases that were done properly, cases that Mm -hmm. were done not properly. Um, You know, I do a story called Biff the Pool Boy and Bambi the Barmaid. And, you know, I talk about the downsides of leaving money outright to a spouse. And Mm -hmm. of course, you know, we have a good laugh. And I talk about, you know, Biff the Pool Boy in a Speedo cleaning the pool. And (laughs) I mean, but but people remember stories. Right. And I, I was at a mall one day and I was walking down the mall and I thought I recognized the face, but I don't acknowledge clients. Like, I feel like that's their job or their prerogative, should I say, to to acknowledge me, especially if I'm with my family. Like, it's up to them if they want to say hello to me. I'm not going to breach a confidentiality or pretend I know somebody. And this lady was like, you're the non-take-a-backable guy. Because I, I I have a story where I say, you know, a gift is non-take-a-backable. Right. And it, it's, I made it up on the fly one day and it is so funny how it's taken legs like that phrase people remember five years later but when you talk about okay well what about a gift or like well that's not take a backable you know i always joke i don't know if they know that's good or bad but they remember and people don't forget stories they, mm-hmm. they remember stories they remember jokes they remember punchlines and my job is to educate them to where if they were ever in a situation where a loved one is needing a long-term care or, or whatever the situation is that they're, maybe they don't remember exactly what I said, but they go, you know what? I remember that guy. Remember he, he did that workshop and he told us about, I don't, I don't remember what he said, but we should reach out to someone. I mean, I know people think that it's all about me. The truth is it's about the education and the knowledge. And sure. I would love for you to like us. Of course. I mean, yeah, of course. But as long as somebody knows information that we didn't know, that's all I care about. At the end of the day, as long as they're educated and they don't go into something blind and have everything taken because a nursing home, which also is not their fault, by the way, I want to be very clear. You know, I always tell people the nursing home is providing a wonderful service. Right. Um, the system is broke. The system is the problem, not not the people providing the care. Don't don't misguide uh, the anger. You know, I, I believe that truly. And so how are you getting people to come to the, your workshops? And you do a lot of workshops. You're doing them like multiple times a month, right? Yeah. And in two different locations too. Um, so one is I've been in practice for 20 years. So one is just simple in that, um, you know, word of mouth. People, I've been around a long time. Um, a lot of advisors know me. A lot of accountants know me. A lot of funeral uh, directors know me. But we also have a component of our practice that, um, is retail as well. So not only we, we call that side wholesale where we talk to advisors, talk to accountants, um, 
but we also have a component which is retail which is okay we're going to do a direct mail piece uh inviting people to the workshop we might do some facebook targeted advertising where uh, when they're on facebook up comes one of our ads for one of our upcoming free workshops and person clicks on it and they register mm -hmm. for the workshop and so we, we kind of have a multifaceted um approach but one of the things that I have learned recently that I never knew before, and you know, here I am 19 years and 20 years now, but 19 years in practice and learned a lesson last year. We are now in two markets. So we 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 are primarily in York and have been for you know my entire career, but now we're kind of expanding over to Lancaster. And it's going really well. Well, of course you would think, I mean, literally, you know, geographically, this office from the other office is about 22 minutes apart. Now, for most people in the country, 22 minutes is nothing, right? But there's a river called the Susquehanna River in the middle. And my joke is you have to get your passport stamped when you cross the, the <laughs> Susquehanna River. Now, it's a joke, but you and I both know that it's a joke, but not really a joke. Mm -hmm. And there is like a divide there. People will not cross that river. I lived um, at the beginning of my career when I clerked for a judge. I lived in York County and drove to Lancaster County. And I was literally on the edge of York County. So mm. it would take me 15 minutes to be downtown in Lancaster, but it would take me 20 minutes to be downtown in York. People are like, you drive the whole way to Lancaster. I'm like, you you know, it's right across that river. Like I can see the <laughs> river, like you realize, you know, and it was just fascinating. But the thing I learned was in York, Facebook advertising works really well. Direct mail works really well. Like, you do a direct mail campaign, you do a face paid campaign. We pretty much have the numbers narrowed down to exactly mm -hmm. how many people will come. I mean, you, you pretty much know your conversion rates. I mean, you can pretty much predict that over 20 years. Uh -huh. Well, we went to Lancaster and we did Facebook ads. We did a direct mail piece and like literally nobody showed. Really? And one of my, one of my buddies who's over there said to me, put an ad in the newspaper. I said, no way. Absolutely not. In York, we did, you know, we spent a couple thousand dollars on ads in the newspaper. We didn't get one thing. And he said, trust me. Really? I said, no way. We did an ad in the newspaper and we had 48 people show up at the next wow. workshop in Lancaster. And I realized while they're that close, I mean, they're 20 mm -hmm. some minutes apart. It is completely different worlds as far as how they receive information. Very interesting. Yeah. Don't do direct mail to them. They won't read it. Don't do a Facebook ad. They're not going to open it. Mm -hmm. But you do a nurse newspaper ad in that newspaper, and by gosh, they're going to show up. It is the it's the most fascinating thing, and I'm always reminding, you know, our marketing team, like guys, it, you know, yes, it's great to have plans right. and it's great to have ideas, but you have to be willing to pivot. Mm -hmm. And clearly, the direct mail wasn't working over there. So the problem is now we're running like two completely different campaigns. Right. Right. When really it's the same workshop and we're targeting the same people, but we have mm -hmm. to do it completely differently. We're 20 minutes apart. Yeah. Like, it, it's just, I never would have thought that. Well, you're, you're lucky you had that friend to tell you that your yeah. your audience was so different. Yeah, because I actually thought it was, I thought it was the area. I, mm -hmm. I thought it wasn't, this sounds terrible. I didn't think it was me, right? It was, it was them. But no, the truth is I thought, well, okay, maybe it's the message isn't being heard there. And the truth is I wasn't giving the message on the platform that they were hearing it. So it was amazing. And it's just changed everything now because now I know where to find them and where they're going to read and where they're going to listen. That's pretty good, valuable information. There's there another story that you told me 
um, before today about the whiteboard when you were making your firm and deciding oh, you yeah. know, what, what you wanted in to see in your firm and, and you pulled out the whiteboard. Yep. And so it was a, it was a, she wasn't with me at the time, but we were friends and, and we were kind of just together at, you know, and kind of wrote on a whiteboard, everything that we didn't like about firms that we worked for. And of course, then the other whiteboard was, okay, so what's the opposite of that? Basically. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely paraphrasing. I'm definitely summarizing, but it was essentially what is it we didn't like? And then what would be the opposite that we would like? And then we basically made those our core values, made those our rules of engagement and kind of, and then eventually about six months later, she ended up uh, leaving the firm she was with and coming to join me. And then we built it together. I mean, we were together for about 18 years. Um, she left last year. I uh, helped her find a, a friend of mine who's starting out. Uh, and I, I was, I trained him a few years ago and he's just a great dude. And she was looking for a change, something different. I think she really wanted to kind of take somebody under her wing and do what she did with me, you know, where we started together and then she kind of built it. So she enjoys that. She's a great paralegal. So yeah, we basically whiteboarded everything we didn't want to see or what we experienced and what the opposite would be. And then made that our vision. And are you still carrying forward those, those values and that mission statement today? hundred percent. We, we read them uh, and we, we modify them now because of course now we have a just about 30 team members. So we're certainly grown since, you know, the days of just, you know, me alone and then her and I, but um, yeah, we still have rules of engagement. We still have our mission statement. We still have our purpose, our core values. Um, they haven't really, the core values haven't changed at all, but some of like the things that we did more of the rules of engagement. So what we do is every week in our team meetings, our team reads out loud our rules of engagement. So, you know, one is have fun. One is if, if something is bothering me, I'll go directly to the team member and rather than, you know, to other people on the team. And and there's like 15 of them and we read them out loud every week and it really fosters an open environment. And a lot of those are the same ones that we created 18 years ago. Well, 20 years ago, actually. Um, and then some are new, like as we had team members, we, we every retreat, we kind of talk about it and see what we want to add or take away. And then one of the things that we do now is once a month, we we basically say, okay, so who on the team has exhibited one of the rules of engagement? Hey, I want to, you know, I want to shout Jeff out because he, whatever, I want to shout Will out because he, you know, whatever. And then we also do shout outs every week of our core values. So who exhibited our core values last week. And then once a month who exhibited um, where they honored the rules of engagement and follow the rules of engagement. And we, we encourage that because that's, we're trying to foster an environment where people are comfortable and speaking their mind and, and saying things and being opened, but doing it in a respectful and polite manner. You know, there's always a, always a way to do it. This episode of the Bronx attorney broadcast was brought to you by me, Will Ferrero. I'm an attorney at prior law in the Bronx. We primarily practice personal injury law, but we can help you with just about any legal issue that you may have. And if it's not something that we can personally help you with, we can connect you with an expert in that area of law. You can find me online on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. My handle is typically at Bronx attorney. And if you can't find me on one of those social media pages, you can email me Ferrero at priorlaw.com or call me at the office 718-829-0222. And now back to the show. So you, you talk about the, the workplace and the workplace culture that you've cultivated. How do you feel like your employees have responded to that? You know, 
I was asked this question recently, and it was the first time I actually really thought about it. Um, I, I think the biggest testament is to how long we've had people on the team and how little turnover we have. Um, and even honestly, like we had uh, one individual retire. We had someone that took some time off. Um, the person I was mentioning earlier who went to work with another law firm, there's no ill will at all. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the rules of engagement is if if I'm not happy and I don't feel that this is the right bus, I'll tell Jeff and he'll help me find a job and we'll go another route. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, I've said that for years. I mean, it's one of our rules of engagement. We read it constantly. And I've had, you know, just a handful of people take me up on it. But I think the biggest one that was the most eye-opening for the team was the team member who had been with me for 18 years. And um, she just wasn't, you know, she was at the point where she liked when it was just the two of us. She liked being my right hand. She liked direct, you know, contact with me. And, you know, when you have 30 team members, there's a leadership team. I'm trying to get myself out of the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to rely on me. I want it to be about the systems, the processes, right, and right. the team. But I honestly, I, I sent an email out on her behalf to a couple hundred lawyers that I've worked with and that I've trained. And um, she got several offers. She was, I was the one that she came to to ask me which offer to take. In the meantime, she was still working for us. She was still collecting a paycheck. And I helped her find a job making significantly more than what she was making with us. So, I mean, you know, the proof's in the pudding. And, and one of my team members said, wow, it was so cool that you did that. And I said, well, what did you think? That's one of the rules of engagement. Well, I know, but no, if you didn't think you were serious it, about it, <laughs> right? Because nobody well, wants to get rid of their uh, their good employees. And she, I, you know, I say this, to, you know, she's one of, if not the best, you know, worker we've ever had. And um, I want what's best for them, and I want what's mm-hmm. best for her. And and it, it wasn't a fit. I mean, I agree. I think we both kind of outgrew each other. I think that. Um, you know, we're in a different place. I think that she was hoping it would just stay the two of us. And that isn't the vision that I have, that it's not where we want to be. But that doesn't mean that what we built together and what we created isn't amazing and isn't a great place to work and isn't, you know, I would never turn my back on someone. So it's just interesting how when you do something like that, other people are like, wow, he is serious. Like, Mm -hmm. this is for real. And um, the other thing that that she and I did, but um, when we first opened the firm, we said, you know, when we hit our 10 year anniversary, we're going to, we're going to go on a cruise. Mm-hmm. Right. So we made, we made the statement and it never got brought up again. Like we never talked about it. We never discussed it. And here we are in like our ninth year, a few years ago. I mean, this is back a few years mm-hmm. because we opened in 2009. So 2019, um, she came to me in 2018 and said, Hey, our, our 10 years next year, um, should I call the uh, uh, the travel agent and book the cruise? And without missing a beat, I said, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And she looks at me and says, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, we, we agreed. She's like, yeah, but there's like, you know, 20 people on the team now. Like we'd have like 58 people going on a cruise. And I said, let's go. We wow, said so it. You all we'll went on the it. cruise? We did. We had 58 people on a cruise. Wow, that's fun. Um, I paid for my team and, you know, we budgeted for a year. We put money away every month and uh, we had the absolute most amazing time. And, you know, a lot of my friends were like, dude, did you really want to spend a week with your team? <laughs> yeah, you're darn right I did. And, yeah. and we also opened it up to some some clients. Well, we opened it up to a lot of clients, but several of them took us up on it. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get them a discount, like, because they were coming with a group 
so we got the bus and we bought them, you know, things to kind of enjoy, have them enjoy being with us. But then my team got on, you know, we had a bus that took us all down to the port and we got on the cruise ship together and we spent the week together and we're, we're, we're doing one in 2029. So we wow. have another one that we're booked. I've already started putting money away for that. Mm-hmm. Um, with our team being as, as big as it is now, it's going to be a little more of an expense, but yeah, um, it's just stuff like that. Like, you know, it's fun. I like being around them. I enjoy them. And I think because we have such an open environment to the people who aren't, they, they typically don't stay around because they know there's no pressure. You know, my big thing is, you know, I don't want to see a, a resume and a copier. If you're not happy, just tell me, I'll help you find a job. But you start sneaking around and, and lying and, and I, eh, that's not the environment that I want. And, um, she was honest and upfront and I helped her find a job and kept her employed until we could part ways. And, you know, so it's just cool. I, I really, I'm glad that it worked out. I mean, I, I, I hate that it didn't work out forever. I mean, obviously that's the goal, but it's okay. I mean, I'd rather know it. We'd rather help find something that you're, you're excited about. Yeah. I think, I think that's great. It sounds like it's, it sounds like it's really going well. Um, yeah, it really thing is. I, yeah. Another thing I wanted to talk about was how, you know, you really separated yourself from the pack in regards to other people in your field when it, when the coronavirus hit. It seems like you were more prepared or willing to adapt more so than, you know, the competition was. Well, yeah. And I, and I don't know that I can take the credit for that one. So <laughs> back to the individual who was with me from the beginning, um, we relied on her a lot because at the beginning there might've been two or three employees, but she was the one who was there from the beginning. She was the one who helped me kind of start it. Also the one who attended the national organization with me, who got trained with me and she fell down the steps one day. And luckily she blew out her knee, but not her, she didn't hit her head. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we hired an IT company, um, right out of the gate. I mean, that was the one thing that we did probably right, which was we hired a real IT company probably well before we could afford them, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But it was great because they kind of set everything up to be you know, able to scan and to be able to scan things and upload to matters and, and not have to be in the office and access it from anywhere. And, you know, and in 2009, that wasn't nearly as common as it is right. now, obviously. Right. So when Tammy went down, one of the things that we realized was, holy cow, I mean, had that been her brain mm. or had she passed away? We might've, I mean, the the whole firm might've crumbled at that time because there was only like two or three employees and she knew everything and nobody knew everything. But luckily she worked from home. We were delivering files to her. We had it set up that she could work remotely. And then, okay, so that was the first remote employee. I, I'm going to guess that was probably 2000 and maybe 11. Okay. 2012. So we had a remote worker and we worked out some of the kinks. We worked out some of the bugs and then, you know, people were working home maybe one day a week, maybe two days a week. And then right before in 2019, we hired another full-time remote player and then maybe a second remote. So when the, I remember when the governor announced, um, you know, everything was a Friday, you know, as of tomorrow, everything is shut down. You know, I was like, what are we going to do? And my team leader was like, what do you mean? What are we going to do? I'm like, what are we going to do? She's like, we're going to work from home. Everybody has, we, we all have it. Everybody's set up. It's, we know how to do it. We have several remote team members. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I going to do? She's like, I'll come <laughs> to your house and I'll set up your computer. And, Cause I didn't work from home at that time at all. Right. Right. And I remember 
and this wasn't planned, but the the Monday after everything shut down, we happened to have a retreat. So obviously the, the topic of the retreat was a little different than maybe what we had planned, mm-hmm. but we spent the entire day basically saying, okay, how does everybody work remotely? Who's going right. and, you know, who's going to be, and we had a team member who was right across the street and we were considered essential. So she was able to come over and kind of check the voicemails. I mean, we had the doors closed, but she was in here checking voicemails and making sure uh-huh. the mail was taken care of, shipping it out to all the team members. Well, I lost a lot of the referral sources because of course they were just worried about making a living and, and keeping their head above water. So we basically turned on the retail stuff um, mm-hmm. and just kind of turned that on. And then we went to, we went right to zoom. We started doing all of our meetings on zoom. Then we did all of our um, workshops on zoom. Well, next thing we know, you know, we're getting more estates and we're getting more Medicaid because a lot of the people in our industry were, were older. Um, we actually bought two practices of people who were like, you know what? I, I don't want this. I'm out. I don't want to practice this way, but they weren't set up remotely. They didn't have any access. So, you know, we kind of doubled down and grew. I mean, we grew significantly in the pandemic. I mean, I want to say we added at least seven, eight new team members during wow. that time. Wow. And for us, it was, you know, a tough time. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I won't say it was easy, but because we were already set up to be remote, we were set up to do everything that way. Um, it was difficult for me to learn because it, it just wasn't my forte. But mm-hmm. when the rest of the team didn't skip a beat and, you know, I came along the back and kind of picked it up on my time. And, um, you know, once you start doing eight, nine, 10 meetings a day on zoom, you pick it up pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it, it, you know, overall, I think that uh, we didn't really uh, lose anything and, and, you know, the access to, some of the the loans and stuff was able to keep everybody employed and then add some mm-hmm. more people. And, you know, that's kind of what I think was good for us. I mean, in terms of being able to evaluate the situation and adapt quickly. And post pandemic, you also started podcasting, right? I did. I did. And so it's, it's awesome, it's, man. Yeah. It's the, it's the red wagon, real estate. I know not real estate. Estate planning and whatever else you want to talk about, right? Yeah, so I do the Red Wagon Estate Planning and Elder Law Show, where we talk about estate planning and elder law. And well, hey, anything else we want to talk yeah. about. And uh, I love it. And it's fun. I So not something that I really shared publicly too much. But um, last year, I, I, I did get COVID in January. Uh, we were on our way to Bonaire to go scuba diving mm-hmm. and got tested positive in the airport in Miami, getting on a plane to go to Bonaire. Oh, got no. quarantined, um, you know, couldn't fly for 14 days. And basically we rented a house uh, in Naples and just stayed in Florida for 14 days. Um, and I was, I was really sick. And from that, I ended up having, you know, severe sleep apnea and stuff that I never had issues with before. And they, you know, they didn't know right away what it was. And then I finally got into a sleep study, but then it took months to get the BiPAP machine so for a good part of last year, I mean, I wasn't sleeping at all. I was falling asleep constantly. I was struggling just to stay awake. So um, we ended up, I ended up kind of voluntarily saying, all right, I'm not going to drive. Like, I, you don't need to pull my, I don't need any of that. I, I'm smarter than that. I'm, you know, I'm a responsible human being and a good citizen. Um, and so we pretty much took me out of meetings in the office and said, Jeff will be working from home. And I was able to do some via Zoom, but we knew that I couldn't count on me too much because I was only able to go when I would lay in bed for 11 hours, I would sleep for one. Mm. So 
when you're only sleeping one hour a night, you know, tough, you can't yeah. go all day and you can only do that for so long. And it's, we're talking seven, eight months is how right. long it was wow. for me. And when I got home, I said, I need something to do. Mm. So basically I started podcasting and then I also did, uh, started writing a book. Mm. And those were the two things that kind of occupied my time while I was kind of home recovering. And then eventually I got the BiPAP machine. And then, um, I don't know if I told you this part, Will, but, uh, January 1st of this year, I was like, okay, I've gained a lot of weight. Um, I gained the COVID 30 or whatever. And then I, I had the, uh, then after my actual COVID episode, I gained more because uh, I was struggling. Right. I was home and, um, I just, you know, from January 1st to today, which is what, three months, January, February, March. Yeah. Pretty much three months. Um, I started at 320 and I'm down to 262. So, wow. Good um, for you. I feel great. I feel like a new human being. I'm back to where I was, you know, before COVID hit. And I feel like I'm back to my fighting weight, you know, <laughs> um, which is great. So yeah, the podcast has been a ball. Um, I probably did about, I'll say maybe 30 of just me. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, like I need guests. Like, so I'm doing what you're doing and bringing guests on and it livens it up for me and it makes it fun. And now I'm having a lot of fun again. And Lucky for me, I had enough in the hopper that I was able to kind of ride out all the ones that I had. And now we're mm -hmm. we're back. So we're about four weeks out and as far as our production schedule, but it is so much fun. And then we also uh, started on a local radio station here, broadcasting the podcast on the radio show on okay. Saturday morning. And it is amazing how many people are like, oh, I heard you on the radio. I heard you on the radio. What, do you just like send the audio file over and they just play it? Yep. Yep. Ah, I, I get hooked up with that. Yeah, I try. I try to make everyone about thirty minutes because uh, I knew that the radio was... spot was thirty minutes. So a couple of them go a little short. So what they did was they asked me for like a a filler. I think is what mm -hmm. they called it. So I just did a filler of like inviting people to our workshops and inviting people to come to listen or getting a link. And so whenever the podcast is shorter than thirty minutes, they just play the filler. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it, it takes the time, and it sounds like it's the same podcast. I mean we do that within the podcast anyway, where I'll talk about it if I think about it. So uh, it's worked out really well. And and I'm fascinated. Like, I don't listen to the radio anymore. Like I'll mm -hmm. listen to Sirius XM or the right. NFL channel or, you know, whatever, but I don't typically use to listen to talk radio much. And so for the number of people that have been like, I heard you on the radio, I'm like, <laughs> whoa, like, yeah, yeah. I hear that more than I hear. I heard your podcast. Gotcha. Which is, no, it's the same thing. You, know, you and I know it's the exact same thing, but that's where they're hearing it is on the radio. Yeah. I, I listened to the dealer the other day. Yeah. I, I love that because I do not remember what his name is, but I remember that he is the dealer. Pennsylvania's <laughs> only dealer. Yeah, he's, a, he's a character, man. Dylan is a, he is a trip, man. He, I, I love it on, on that podcast. He did talk about, um, you know, he was a, a rap artist, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And he said, I mean, he said it on the podcast. He's like, you know, I had a persona mm -hmm. as a rapper and that wasn't viable with raising a family and, you know, having kids and stuff. And, but everything we do is, is persona. Everything we do right. is relationship. It's acting. And so he kept his, you know, what it bees like. And he, he literally does. He has bees on his glasses and <laughs> a tattoo on his, on his hand to be, and he totally takes that to the nth degree. And I mean, I bet he's very memorable. I bet he does really oh, good. Really he's well amazing, dude. I mean, honestly, I, 
he puts he actually posts it, but in the country, he's usually like number one for an individual, and he usually finishes wow. like third or fourth as a team, and he's by himself. Wow. It is just fascinating. The dude has just built a heck of a, a business. And we have a few other uh, uh professionals that we've interviewed that are coming up, and but he's definitely a personality, man. He he he's fun, he's a lot of fun to be around. I might have to steal some of your guests then. They'll, they'll yeah. get do the, they can do the podcast circuit with us. <laughs> yeah, let them let them know you heard it on mine and you want to do yeah. it. I mean, those guys would love that. You know, I he he just likes to be uh, out there. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He's a good dude, real good dude. So what uh, what type of content can we expect in this book, and and when can we expect to see it? Yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking it'll be in print and uh, available on Audible. I'm gonna guess somewhere around August. Um, mm-hmm. The title of the book is Modern Estate Planning Has Taken the Other Fork in the Road. Gotcha. And I talk about how the old school planning and, and some of the old school things that we did um, don't work anymore. And to the extent they don't work, uh, they also aren't really applicable. And we need to we need to pivot. We need to shift. We need to talk about asset protection um, and basically use the true story of a, a husband and wife who went into a local attorney's office, wanted to protect assets, wanted to try to avoid probate, keep the cost down. And the attorney was like, you can't do that. Like, what are you talking about? Like you do a will, you don't have more than 20 some million dollars. You know, you don't need trust. That's stupid. And ultimately the wife ended up in the nursing home. They lost several hundred thousand dollars. Then the kids inherited the money outright, which he didn't want to have happen. Right. Um, the one son paid off the mortgage. A couple months later, the wife files for divorce and takes half. Oh, the God. other son ended up on public benefits and lost all the money because he re- he was receiving public benefits and that wasn't done properly. And the third son was a spendthrift, mm-hmm. maybe an addict. You know, I, I in the book, I was a little vague because honestly, the facts were vague. They didn't really tell me exactly, but he blew all of it. I mean, the short right. end of it is the three kids inherited a lot less because mom ended up in the nursing home losing, I think it was like 750000 Wow. Then they ended up losing the rest of the money because of their situations. Right. And the guy was clear, man. Like he he went and got a second opinion from another local attorney. The second opinion agreed with the first opinion. Oh no. And then the son came into my office, who I called Mark. Obviously, that's not the real name of the client, right. but Mark came in my office and went to my own workshops. Mm-hmm. And he came up to me at the end and he's like, This is what my parents wanted. This right. is what they went to two lawyers to hear. This is what exactly he was looking for. Asset protection during life and after death. And everybody told him he didn't have $20 million. And I, I think the basic basic premise is most attorneys only know the planning for people that have federal estate tax issues because back in the 90s, that was for people that had more than $600,000. Mm. Nowadays, it's $12.92 million a person. It's not the same planning. We don't yeah. have that many people that have more than 26 million. Like statistically across the country, it's very few. But that's not the truth. I mean, you you get somebody with, you know, $250,000 to $2 million. And they know that they can be in a nursing home at 14 grand a month. Right. That they'll, they'll protect it. Right. That, that, right. that money means more to them than somebody with $20 million because they mm-hmm. could lose it in months. Right. You know, so... It, it that's a true story. It, it's absolutely a, an actual case, you know, clearly changed the names, but, um, and then ultimately for the son, we ended up putting the money in an asset protection trust, protecting it for the kids. 
And of course he had similar kids. Um, and I, I called them Jeff, Dan and Reese. Um, I just made those names up, but mm-hmm. um, I'm one of the attorneys in the office. Dan's another attorney in the office. So I just went with Jeff and Dan. Uh-huh. I was the, I was the individual who ended up with the special needs and, need, you know, received public benefits, but because mm-hmm. his father, Mark did it right. hundred percent of the assets were protected. Gotcha. And uh, Reese was the one who was a spendthrift and mm-hmm. money was protected and Dan was the one who got divorced and his money was protected. So it's just a real life story of what we see in our office and what happened in real life mm-hmm. and basically talking about educating for free and not charging for consults. And And I don't plan to sell it. I, I plan to use it as um, essentially an expensive business card. I mean, mm-hmm. I plan to give it out to mostly financial advisors, accountants, fin- funeral directors, professionals. And use it as an you know expensive business card in that, you know, this is exactly what our office is, what we do, how we do it, and what we believe in. And if if you don't like that, that's okay. Like, you know what, you don't have to be a fit for everybody. Right? You have to uh, believe in what you do. And if it's if they like that, then they'll seek us out. If they don't, it's okay. So it sounds like you got a lot going on. I'm going to be yeah, you know, fun, following man. along and and we might have to have you back on to to give us some more knowledge about estate planning because I, I feel like we just scratched the surface. Yeah, man, I will. And I, I love it. And it's a lot of fun. I'm excited for the book to come out. I'm I'm excited to do the Audible. I'm going to be the uh, the author. I'm going to read it myself. Okay. Uh, the, the guy said, you know, we have professional voiceover people who do that. And I was like, nah, I got to do this. Like, yeah. I love this kind of stuff. So no, uh-huh. I, I want to be it. He's like, okay, fair enough. All right, fair enough. And I'm like, I know I'm not a professional, but I think me reading it would mean a lot more to me. It's, and it's a lot It's a lot more personal to the people who then will call you up and hear your voice. Well, it's more personal for me too. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I do this because of a situation that happened with my family and I just hearing somebody else tell it, I just, I don't know. I just, I want to be the personality and the face and the voice. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, I'm not selling it. I'm not looking to make money off of it at all. I just wanted to tell a true story and what happens when you're not, when you don't do the planning correctly. And, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, like I had a gentleman tonight that said, I want to go talk to my lawyer. And I said, no problem. You know what? There's no pressure, but remember if he knew how to do it, he would have told you about it. <laughs> and he was like, well, that's true. And I'm like, I'm just, I mean, and if he brings it up now, why didn't he bring it up before? You know what I mean? Right, like, right. and he was like, wow, I didn't think of that. I'm like, feel free to take your time. There's no pressure. But if he, you know, didn't know about it before, what would make you think he could do it now? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what changed? One last question before I let yes, you go. Sir. Let's do it. If what, what type of advice would you give yourself the, the 2008 version of you when you were thinking about, opening your own firm do it yeah, <laughs> believe in yourself um i had a lot of self-doubt and mm-hmm. um there was a couple other um friends of mine who wanted to leave a firm and kind of go out and do something on their own and i didn't go i didn't believe in myself i didn't believe in my my uh talents you know um the other thing i would tell myself is get coaching mm. you know uh regardless of who you think is the greatest golfer of all time. Um, let's just, I'll, I'm going to go with Tiger Woods. Cause that's my generation. Yeah. Um, you know, in his heyday, he had three to four coaches and you know, there's nothing wrong with having somebody to talk to, to guide you and to give you advice and to push you. 
And when things changed for me was when I joined the national organization and started getting coaching on a regular basis and understanding numbers and understanding how to break the business down and setting key performance indicators for every department and looking at them every week and looking at the numbers every week. And, you know, you respect what you inspect. And Mm -hmm. at the first six months, it was kind of me, just whatever felt good. And, you know, feeling good only gets you so far. And so, uh, I, I wish I would have done it sooner, um, but I don't know that I was ready. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know that the older version, the younger version of me would have been ready any sooner. Uh-huh. So it probably happened at the right time. But, um, and then the last thing I would say is we're not taught how to run businesses in law school. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. And nobody ever teaches that. I didn't know anything. And when I went to this national organization and started getting coaching and understanding how to run a business, that's when everything changed. And I, I think a lot of times lawyers, um, they have this belief of if you, if you hang out your shingle, they will come. And unfortunately, you know, nowadays with the marketing way it is and stuff, you have to stay with it. You have to stay on top of it. And, you know, being your own boss and and creating the culture around you the way that you want it, there's a lot to be said for that, man. And it's it's so rewarding. I mean, is it scary? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, I was talking to a, a dear friend of mine today, and, and he's on his own now for about two years. And he said, when does it get easier? When do you stop worrying? And I said, you don't. You don't. And and the headaches only get different. I mean, it's, you know, when you're when you have one employee versus 30 employees, you know, it, it's not any better, you know, and am I out of the day to day? Yeah. But ultimately who's the one on the hook you know who's the one with all the risk who's the one me but it's fun now like i'm really enjoying it and i i i'm my journey was my journey and i don't regret it but knowing where i know now i'm trying to encourage people i mean there's nothing wrong with firms this is not meant to be a disparagement whatsoever but um to be able to do your own thing and create the culture that you want and put your fingerprint on it it's pretty cool pretty cool all right, Jeff. Thanks so much. We'll thanks, have to man. do this again. Take yeah, care. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bronx Attorney Broadcast. Please like, review, and subscribe so we can help the channel continue to grow. And if you're interested in connecting with any of the guests, please let me know, and I'd be happy to make the introduction.